Turning your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We'll be reading the first uh, seven verses of Exodus, chapter 20. <clears throat> Remembering of, as always, that it is our conviction, as it should be, according to Scripture itself, that the Bible is the infallible and inerrant word of God. It is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, the scriptures tell us. It is given by inspiration of God for our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Let us keep that in mind as we read this because these are the words of God to us. Exodus chapter 20. Let's begin at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 7. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It is not easy to live by the Ten Commandments. Now, when people first become acquainted with the Ten Commandments, and look at them and maybe give them an all too quick uh, opinion of what they think of those Ten Commandments. Uh, they might look at those Ten Words. Remember we talked about out of the Bible it says the Ten Words, not the Ten Commandments, but that just so we can keep that in mind. When we look at those Ten Commandments, we think, oh, I understand that. That's not so difficult. <laughs> Until we really get serious with trying to see what the Lord means by keeping those Ten Commandments. You remember the parable or the story, and it wasn't a parable, the story of the rich young man, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he mentioned a number of them from the the second half of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and so on. He mentioned those, and he looked at the, this rich young man, and the rich young man said, oh, I've kept all those ever since I was a kid. No problem. What's next? Let's move on. Jesus knew, of course, that he hadn't kept them because nobody's kept them. None of us are able to keep the Ten Commandments apart from 
the power and the grace of Jesus Christ working in us. And once the Lord shows us what it really means to keep these commandments, several things will happen, one of which is a deep and true conviction of our sin. We don't think we need Jesus much in our world today, especially in, believe it or not, Bible-believing parts of the, our country. We don't, we don't think we're... Need, we need Jesus that much. Oh, we need him, but not really that much because after, we, we don't do such a bad job of keeping these commandments. No, we're not perfect, but we're doing okay. We've got Jesus. Well, that's not what happens when the Holy Spirit really helps us understand the keeping of these commandments. Every single one of them is broken by us. Yet every single one of them can be kept, not perfectly, not con total consistently, but they can be kept by us as a pattern and way of life as Jesus Christ works in us. Now we saw that uh, the first four of these commandments uh, are focused on God and our, really our, our worship of God. Commandment one tells us that we are, uh, tells us who to worship. Commandment two tells us how to worship. And commandment three, as we'll see today, tells us how to speak in worship to God and to speak of God when we are worshiping. And of course, the fourth one tells us when to worship. We'll be looking at that one next time that we examine the 10 commandments. Keep in mind, worship has a broader and a more narrow scope. And what we're looking at is both of those. How do we keep the third commandment or any of the commandments on the broader level in our everyday life? That's worship too, you know. The whole, our whole life is, is an offering to God of our whole selves all the time. But there's the more narrow focus that uh, in, includes what we're doing right now, gathered worship. So our daily living of our whole lives is worship and our coming together on the Lord's day, gathering together for, for worship together is a more narrow and specific aspect of living a life of worship to God. The third commandment then concerns how we speak when we worship God how we speak of God and how we speak to God. When we use the name of the Lord, how are we doing that? In what, in what way are we using the name of the Lord? Notice to begin with here, the supreme name. You shall not take the name, the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, there's a great value in naming people. Every parent knows when they're going to have a child, whenever they have a child, one thing they've got to come up with is, what are we going to name this baby? And sometimes that's pretty easy. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes babies are born and it's a while before the parents can finally settle on a name. This is baby X until we know what to name this kid. 
Now, I've noticed, you have probably too, I've noticed that there tends to be patterns of popularity with names. Jen Wilkin has written a great book on the Ten Commandments, and uh, she happens to be named Jennifer. And she came across this article in a magazine called The Jennifer Syndrome. And the Jennifer Syndrome referred to uh, the, the fact that the name Jennifer was the most popular girl's name for, I believe it was 14 years in a row. The most popular name. And so during that period of time, I'm guessing 80s, 90s, maybe right in there, um, Every, all the girls, it seemed like every time you turn around, they're named Jennifer. Well, a couple of generations before that, I recall, there was a whole lot of ladies born, babies born who were female that were called Bessie. Uh, and that was kind of the trend at that particular time. It's, you know, it goes like that. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It just happens to be the way it is. Uh, naming babies is, is very important. And parents sometimes put a great deal of stock in what they name their child. I remember we, we named uh, our children uh, based on some biblical names. And uh, it, was, it made it even more special. Some of it was family name. Some of it was a more specific uh, biblically based name that we used for our two children. The value of names in general then becomes even more important when we think about the value of names to God. God valued the names of people that we see in biblical history. When you read names in the Bible, keep this in mind that virtually all of them, if not all, have specific descriptions of the person that is named. For instance, Abram meant father. And when Abram received the covenant and put his trust in the Lord and believed the covenant promises in Genesis 15 and following, his name was changed to Abraham, meaning father of many or father of many nations a significance to his name. The same thing could be said of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because Jacob himself was going to be one who led the people of the covenant in his generation with his children. And the name Jacob had to do with striving with God because Jacob wrestled with, God, with the angel of the Lord. And at that point, after he had done that, his name was changed. Joshua. Joshua means the Lord is, is Savior. And of course, that's the, the name Jesus. Joshua and Jesus are really the same name. So that's the name Joshua had in the book of Joshua. And that's the name that Jesus had as well. And on we could go with examples of that. But most importantly of all is the value of God's name. All of these names have their place 
that we give to people and that God gives to people in the Bible, but none of them can compare with the name that is above every name. And that's God. And so God is saying here that, that we must be careful about how we use his name. Remember, God's name is a reflection of God's nature. It's telling us who God is. You could go back to Exodus chapter 3 in a very well-known part of Moses' life in verses 13 through 15. And we read about Jesus, excuse me, about Moses seeing the burning bush. And Moses noticed that this bush was unlike any burning bush because it was not consumed. It was just staying on fire. And God told Moses to take off his uh, footwear, not shoes, uh, whatever footwear he had, take them off because he was standing on holy ground because he was standing in the presence of God. And this is what we read in those verses, verse 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God also, excuse me, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Who is God? What is his name? His name is Yahweh, Jehovah. I am who I am. And that was a very significant name. It was the name of, of the covenant making and keeping God. It was the name of the self-existent God. Nobody made God. Nobody named God. God named himself, if you will. And he said, this is who I am. I am that I am. I'm always, I've always been and I always will be. And I am your God, Moses. And I'm the God of your people, Moses. God's name is who he is. Gary North, um, writer, minister and writer <clears throat> who died recently, said that it ought to be, maybe it's helpful for us to think of God's name without being too um, crass about it. Think of God's name as like a trademark. This is what he said about that. One way for a modern American to begin to understand this commandment, the third commandment, is to treat God's name as trademarked property. In order to gain widespread distribution for his copyrighted repair manual, the Bible, 
and also to capture greater market share for his authorized franchise, the church, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood, however, that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the unauthorized misuse of this supremely valuable property. All trademark violations will be prosecuted to the full limits of the law. The prosecutor, judge, jury, and enforcer is God. Now that might sound a little too earthly uh, to make such a comparison, but hopefully we get the point. God has the right to disclose who he is, to name himself, and to reveal his name, meaning to reveal his nature to us. But we must use that name in the ways that he authorizes. Now, with that in mind, let's ask ourselves, do I see God's name, which represents God's person, God's nature. It represents God himself. Do I see God's name in that light? Do I see it in its supreme value, the name above all other names? And do I treat it accordingly? And that leads us to the second thing I want you to notice here. In addition to the supreme name, notice the corresponding practice. The corresponding practice. If we are to keep this commandment, how do we do that? How do we keep that commandment? Well, let's think of it in terms of the negative aspects of keeping the commandment and the positive aspects of keeping the commandment. Did you know that it used to be illegal to curse God, to use his name in vain. It used to be illegal in America. Now I'll give you an example. Is this, I don't know how long ago this was, but it was several decades ago anyway, where there was a fellow uh, in Michigan. His name was Timothy Boomer. I don't know if he was a boomer, but his name was Boomer. I guess he was because it, he was 24 at the time. Um, in Michigan, swearing in front of children was illegal. It had been on the books. It was a law that had been established since the late 1800s. And this guy, Timothy Boomer, was out on uh, a river uh, a riverboat and uh, I was looking to hear the Rifle River was the name of the, if you know anything about rivers in Michigan, the Rifle River might be one you recognize. But uh, he was up against uh, a county judge because he fell off his boat into the river and began to spew out maybe water, but he also spewed out a long litany of curse words uh, and terrible 
things that were heard by a mom and her children. Shouldn't have done that. Fell out of the canoe, not a boat, he fell out of the canoe, and he went into this three-minute-long stream of profanities. So the woman and her two children were nearby, and she heard it, and it just so happens that a sheriff's deputy was nearby, and he heard it. And so this guy, Timothy Boomer, got caught and had to uh, face the judge and the sheriff's deputy testified against him. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to guess that this is not a law that's being enforced anymore. Just a wild guess on my part. Maybe we had a law like that on the books here in Mississippi, too. I wouldn't be surprised if most states had it at some point. Against the law to curse God in the presence of children in particular. Well, that hasn't changed much. Well, the law maybe has, but the fact that people continue to curse God has not changed much. They take the Lord's name in vain. In vain, of course, is an important word. You remember how the theme of Ecclesiastes is vanity of vanities. That means emptiness. It means to say something in a careless way. That's what profane means. Profane means not giving something its proper respect. Making it worldly. Profane is most literally means means. Uh, common or worldly instead of special. You can think of a lot of ways where you, like me, have heard people use God's name in vain. Maybe the most popular one today, I'll just use the three letters, O-M-G. And even if you say, oh my gosh, or oh my goodness, I don't know that that's too far a feel from saying, oh, my God. Now, it's possible to say my God from a sincere, devoted, loving heart. Jesus did that. <laughs> my God, why have you forsaken me? We can do that, but we're talking here about empty, vain usage of this term. Sometimes I enjoy watching these these uh, home renovation shows. And then at the end, toward the end, you know, they bring in people to see how their home's been transformed. And so many times you hear them say, oh, my God. And if you were to, to call them on that, they might say, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. Exactly. That's the problem. You didn't mean anything by it. Not in the right sense, at least. You're just saying it in almost a flippant way. And you're talking about the sacred name of God. Something that every Christian must be aware of. And, and to whatever extent we have a tendency to do that, we have to watch out and we have to deal with that in our own particular situations. That's not a place 
for us to be. We can also break this commandment when we engage in certain kinds of God talk. That is, we have conversations about spiritual things or about worship, but our hearts are not sincerely engaged with our words. We don't really mean what we're talking about. We just say it because we know that this is the right thing to say. Remember what Jesus said about that? That's a heart problem. Jesus said in Matthew 15, this out of the heart that we say things that we should not say. It's out of the heart that our mouths speak profane words, even God spiritual type words. When we're maybe just wanting to talk about it because we just love a good argument, you know, about spiritual things. It's like we love a good argument about political things. And we're not really seeking to honor that name in a reverent, respectful, supremely respectful way. Well, what about careless talk using God's name? We can really ease into that when we, doesn't always mean this, but sometimes we can say things like, God spoke to me. We can label our experiences a certain way when they really weren't that genuine. It was our poor understanding, perhaps, of, you know, that, what that means. You know, God doesn't speak to us audibly, but the Holy Spirit can convict us and move us and, and help us better understand God's word and can, can enable us to find strength and power in that word. That's, if you mean by, that's what you mean by God speaking to me. Of course, God speaks to us through his written word. But we don't always use it in that way. We can break this commandment by uh, uh, unlawful oaths and vows. When we make promises and don't com commit to them and keep them, Using God's name is sort of a backup, you know, swearing to God. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to swear by this or swear by that. Oh, we could go on and on here. How about vain repetition in the, using the name of God? Sometimes prayers can be really... Uh, vain repetition. How about something like this? Father God, we just worship you, Jesus, and Father, we thank you, Lord. And on and on and on it goes. With about every third word on the average is using God's name. Got to be careful about that. Got to be careful about that. Oh, let me don't, I don't want to leave this one out. Politics. We can bring God up in politics, can't we? Well, you know that God, uh, that Jesus was a Republican, don't you? No, but I, I'm really pretty sure that Jesus was a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you love Jesus. You gotta watch out for that kind of stuff. Or how about 
one that can be sincere, but often I fear is not. God bless America. Virtually every politician will end a speech like that. And I kind of think that that's like throwing meat, you know, out to the hungry. To say, God, I mean, you have to say that at the end of a speech, don't you? Not if you don't mean it. Not if you're just saying it to please people. We can misuse the name of God. Well, those are negative ways. What about positive ways? Hallowed be your name. We prayed that a few minutes ago. That's the positive aspect of keeping the commandment to do what Jesus taught us to do when we pray. The first petition, the first statement in in the Lord's Prayer. May your name be kept sacred, hallowed. When you speak of God, always speak of him and to him with reverence. Reverence. You know, we've become sort of a casual culture. We have casual dress, uh, more so than we used to have. Casual Fridays, where, believe it or not, amazingly, even bankers dress casual on Friday. But we've become also too casual, too chummy sometimes with our use of God's name. Sometimes it seems like Christians now look at Jesus as sort of a heavenly buddy. It was pointed out to me in some of my uh, reading on this that you hardly ever find a reference to just where people in the New Testament refer to Jesus as Jesus, especially in his preaching, excuse me, especially in the preaching of of the gospel by Paul and Peter and others. They use the term Jesus as Lord, the Christ, the Son of God, they used other names, and it, yes, they, they would use Jesus, especially in talking about his actual life in the Gospels. But today, it's like, you know, Jesus and me, um, and, and not, not a whole lot of attention given to his other names and titles. That can, can tend to become a problem uh, if we're not careful. Jesus is Lord certainly is a biblical thing to say. We become casual in how we address people in authority in general. Jen Wilkin, I mentioned earlier, said that um, one of her favorite movies was The American President. It was out a long time ago. Um, and it she said the thing that, that struck her was that the, the character that uh, in the, played the president in this movie, President of the United States, had as his chief of staff his best friend, someone he'd known since he was young. They were in each other's weddings and all this. And, of course, the chief of staff, 
you know, would always say, Mr. President, Mr. President. But there was one scene where they were by themselves in a room and, and uh, the president said, you know, you don't have to call me Mr. President right now. We're not out in a public setting. And he said, whatever you say, Mr. President. He did not let his friendship and his longtime acquaintance with the president keep him from showing proper respect to one in authority. And we seek to teach that to our kids, don't we? We'll see that when we come to honor your father and your mother. We need to honor those who are in positions of authority over us. We don't have to like them, but we can honor them because of their position that God himself and his providence has placed them there. And so we can say, Mr. President, and we can give honor to whom honor is due. Now, all of that to say, we need to be sure that we're not getting too casual, too chummy in our relationships with God. Yes, we need to be uh, deeply personal and real, draw near to God. You know, as a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. But that doesn't mean that we can just come with this too laid back, irreverent, disrespectful approach to God. We need to speak of God and to God appropriately. It is said that uh, at one point, Alexander the Great was leading his troops in the battle. And he told them that his good name depended on their valor in battle. And he was entrusting to them his name for good or for ill. You can see the connection there is if Alexander the Great could tell his soldiers, you know, my good name is at stake in the way you fight, whether you win or you lose, the way you fight. Don't like the Ukrainians, right? Ukrainians are fighting valiantly. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done with us and with his name. He's sending us out into spiritual battle for the kingdom of heaven. And he allows us to bear his name in the world for good or for ill. And so everything we do in our lives, because we have named the name of Christ, everything we do should be done for his glory and his honor. He's the captain of our salvation. The last thing I want you to note here is the emphatic reason. The emphatic reason. Why does God include at the end of this commandment these words? He says, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, but he doesn't stop there. He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You might think, why, why does he say that for this commandment? Isn't that true of all the commandments? The Lord won't hold us guilty if we break any of these commandments. The Lord won't hold us not guilty for breaking those commandments. 
The term here is taking his name in vain. The actual term he uses here means to lift up. Lift up the name of God. Don't lift up the name of God in vain. Don't make it common when it is supremely special. Isn't it true that all of our sins, though, render us guilty before God? And, of course, the answer is yes. So why does God say this? He says it because of who he is. And he makes that very clear at the end of that verse. Or the middle of the verse, I should say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Remember back in verse 2 of this chapter? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am your covenant God. I am that I am. No being can compare to me. No beginning, no end. No being can love you who I made like I love you. No being has the greater right to have supreme, our supreme love and obedience and worship. Because he is supreme. He reigns over all. It's because of who he is. And as I mentioned briefly a while ago, when the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, was humble to the point of death, even death on the cross, therefore God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The name above all names, Jesus Christ. Because of who he is, he's going to hold us particularly guilty for taking that supreme name in vain. And you know, I think this is added also because we have a built-in tendency to minimize this commandment. I think we all do to some extent or at certain points in, in our daily lives. We minimize the breaking of this commandment. We may say, you know, well, I never say OMG. Or, you know, I never take God's name in vain. Maybe not, but there are other ways to break that commandment, like we said. And there are many others. You read the larger catechism, Pretty good list there, ways that we can break this commandment or keep, and ways that we should keep this commandment. We all have a built-in tendency to minimize this commandment, maybe a little more than others, the other commandments. There's a reason that God put it here as opposed to putting it at the end of every commandment. Uh, Philip Ryken, uh, who's also written on the Ten Commandments, a wonderful book, Listen to this sentence from him. What we do with God's name will determine what he will do with us. The Lord will not hold him guilty who takes his name in vain. What we do with God's name will determine what he will do with us. 
So let's be transparently clear and honest here. Not one of us is guiltless when it comes to the third commandment. Now, hopefully, if you know Jesus and God's sanctifying you and growing you, you're becoming increasingly aware of the importance of keeping any of his commandments and all of his commandments. But we should never have the attitude in a smaller version, perhaps, of what that rich young man had. Well, I don't have any problem. I keep that commandment. Third commandment's not a problem for me. Some of the other ones are, but not the third one. Well, yes, it is a problem for you because it's a problem for every sinner. Maybe more so than others, but, but uh, some more than others, but it's still a problem. The guilt is ours. We are all guilty of breaking the third commandment in some way or another. And you have to figure that out. What must we do then? Let me finish with this, these um, hopefully helpful uh, recommendations, I guess I could put it that way, but biblically based. Number one, see your sin. See your sin. Look in the mirror, so to speak, of your own heart and life, your habitual way of speaking. There may be ways that you say things that dishonor God's name without you have ever, you haven't even realized that or thought about that before. You need to examine yourself and your patterns and habits. In what ways do you violate this commandment? Then, seeing those things, you don't stop there. I'm afraid that's often what we do. We see our sin, yeah, that was wrong, I shouldn't do that. No, you don't stop there. You confess your sins to God. Dr. McKelvey's been pointing that out in 1 John. If we say we have no sin, let me paraphrase that. If we say we have no sin in terms of the third commandment, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin and forgive us of all unrighteousness. There should be sorrow for our sin, sorrow for having dishonored the name of the holy God in whatever way we've offended God in that way. And then we need to turn from that repentance. This is repentance, being sorry for the sin that you know you've committed and then doing something about it, turning away from that sin and turning to God, seeking his pardoning grace and the help to not sin that way in the future. See your sin, repent of your sin, look in faith to Jesus Christ. That's the third thing. Look in faith to Jesus Christ. His blood, as the hymn says, can make the foulest clean. Sometimes the foulest stuff comes out of our mouths. Foul to God. Other people may snicker and laugh, you know, and say, oh yeah, <laughs> making light of it too. Jesus alone can remove your guilt. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ask him to help you daily to only speak of God's name with the highest reverence. And when you hear other people offend God by misusing his name, you should be offended. That's my God that you are making nothing of, making light of. You had no concept of what you're saying when you use his name like that. But God can help you deal with that in your own life. Last thing there, number four of the what to do list here. Endeavor to keep this commandment in all of your life. Endeavor to keep this commandment in all of your life. Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatever you do, notice how big a statement that is. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God help us to so love God that we keep this commandment as well as the others that he's given to us for our good, for our witness, and for the glory of God himself in his great name. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we ask you to forgive us where we have taken your name in vain, where we've misused it, where we've treated it as if it's just a common thing. Lord, you are the holy God. May we have that holy fear, that holy reverence for you when we speak of you before others, before you. And we thank you that we have a mighty Savior who not only forgives us for our breaking of the third commandment, but who enables us to keep the third commandment. Help us to grow in our ability, Lord, to honor your name in everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.